0: Hello everybody, it is Saturday, August 27th, 2022, and I once again find myself with that weekly honor, privilege, and pleasure of welcoming you to another episode of the Or Nary Podcast, polynerdic.com's weekly nerd-centric life and culture podcast for adults. As always, I am your ordinary nerdy host, Shad, and this is going to be episode number 273. Every time I say that number at the beginning of an episode, I am just astounded that I've been able to keep it going this long. Um, no project I have ever done has lasted consistently every single week without fail, uh, with the, you know, with very few exceptions, I should say. Um, you know, at the time I was in the hospital, we posted on a Tuesday, uh, and there's been a couple times I think where life got in the way and I had to post on Sunday instead of Saturday, but. 273 straight weeks That's a lot of uh, Me sitting here with a microphone in my face uh, Talking to anyone And everyone who will listen uh, This week's episode uh, We're going to talk about Gamescom uh, I have spent most of my afternoon Watching I don't say most, a big chunk of my afternoon and evening Watching Gamescom trailers And, and announcements and reveals And there's a lot of exciting stuff out there we have some news to talk about in the entertainment circles, uh, and then, of course, um, I always like to begin it with what I've been up to this week. Uh, this week has been a, a relatively busy week. Uh, work has been pretty exhausting. It's been warmer this week than it has the previous couple of weeks, and that has made me more tired, uh, because I am continuing to do my damnedest to not turn the air conditioner on when the kids aren't here. Um get that electric bill down, you know, and, uh, which is incredibly important as we move into next month because of, uh, uh, HR, uh, payroll issue that occurred this week and that will, that will, uh, undoubtedly fuck me over, um, next paycheck, um, and, and I don't want to go into too many details about it, but, but basically what happened was I got some money that I wasn't supposed to get and then almost a week later they said, oh, yeah, you weren't supposed to have that, uh, so we're gonna take it back next payday. Um, which totally fucked my budget. Uh, I was able to recover some of it, you know, cancel some orders for things for the apartment and whatnot. Um, uh, but, you know, the the extra money I spent on groceries and stuff like that, couldn't get that back. So, um, here's for, uh, some belt tightening the next couple weeks as we move, uh, between the beginning of, or the end of the month and the middle of the month's paychecks, um, it's fucking unbelievable. But but it is the reality of what I'm dealing with. So I slept a lot this week to combat the stress and the and the anxiety and a little bit of depression that came with it. Um, I slept most of my free time. Um, you know, got off work, fixed dinner watched a little bit of whatever, and went to sleep. Um, but I did do two productive things this week. Earlier in the week, we reviewed Spelljammer, Adventures in Space, the new D&D set that came out. Um, I put that up on Tuesday, I think it was, that it, it... Tuesday or Wednesday. I posted it to the website. In YouTube. Um... I'm underwhelmed with it. I, I hate to say that. Um, you know I me. Mean? I don't like to be negative uh, except for when it's due. And I think the Spelljammer book is underwhelming. It's not the worst book ever. It's not like, take it back, it's bad. It's not, I regret buying it, um, as some of the D&D talking heads on YouTube have, have said. But it's also not like, perfectly serviceable so to speak either like there there is some middle ground that they they flubbed uh i talked about it in the in the review and i'll talk about it again here real quick that um 5e's design concept ethos whatever you want to call it and it looks like it will probably continue into one D uh 5.5 6e whatever you want to call it um is to facilitate storytelling above crunchy rule settings, you know? Uh, Rule-heavy gameplay. I mean, it's scattered throughout the different books that, like, you know, rule as it works at your table, you know? Forget about these rules if you don't like them. Don't like encumbrance? Don't use it. Don't like this? Don't use it. Don't, don't want to worry about tracking rations and stuff? Don't use it. Um, definitely moving away from the really, really, really crunchy, mechanics-heavy... AD&D and 3.5 3rd uh, third, third edition 3.5 um, stuff and, and I'm, I'm here for that I, I've played Pathfinder 1st edition uh, a little bit of 3.5 don't care for it uh, I like the streamlined nature of 5e a whole lot but that also in my opinion leaves some room for uh, some improvement um the ship combat is almost non-existent. Uh it's it's there's just enough rules for you to to have a baseline for how to run ship to ship combat but not enough to be like super in depth. And I don't need like second edition AD&D original spelljammer um you know 20 pages of rules on space combat. But I do need a little more definitive stuff. Like, you know, there's a line where it talks about Spelljammers can move at max speed until they're within one mile of something that weighs a ton or more. Which, in theory, means that, like, if you're out there floating freely in space and, uh, and you just happen to be in the path of a spelljammer vessel, you're fucking missed. You know, like, just exploded into a pink cloud as the spelljammer passes through the space you're in. Uh, but it also doesn't give you, like, real solid rules on how to escape. Um, my bigger complaint with it is, is it didn't go into the level of depth that the Ghost of Saltmarsh naval combat went with, where like you had hull upgrades and weapons upgrades and, and all way more detailed stuff than what they put in the Spelljammer book. And that's really where I have a problem with it. Combat I can add to, I, I can make combat work differently. I've already started it today. That's part of what I did today. Um. I had a day off work because the plumber was here fixing stuff and I didn't want to try to do my job with a plumber coming and going. So I took a PTO day and uh, while he was working in the bathroom on my faucets and my shower stuff, I worked on D&D stuff. And one of the things I worked on was I figured out the stuff that I would add to or change in Spelljammer. Uh, I want customizable weapons. I want weapons that aren't just siege weapons. Um, I want ships to have cannons that just aren't the big giant cannon on the bombard. Um, I want more sensical range. Like, you know, we're in space where things just go endlessly. I'm going to extend the range on what is the effective range of some weapons. You know, I'm going to add weapons that are similar to what was in the the, uh, Infernal... Machines and and descent to Avernus. I'm I'm gonna add stuff like that to my spell jamming set. Um, upgrades to the ships. You know that there was all sorts of interesting upgrades to both the Infernal War machines and the ships in Ghost of Saltmarsh That I want that in Spelljammer, and it's not there. They they didn't lay the groundwork there. And granted, it's in other books. It's pre published material you have all the resources in front of you technically but I'll stand by what I said in the review that it's it was a huge mistake on Wizards of the Coast part to publish Spelljammer as three 64 page books it should have been one like 350 page book one 400 page book something like that it should have been a setting a bestiary and rules and an adventure even Uh, Because the adventure is the most serviceable part at 64 pages. It's a quick, serialized adventure that's got really cool chapter breaks where you can do cliffhanger endings like an episodic TV show, like Flash Gordon or whatever, and it just works in that regard. Um, The adventure might be the part that works the most, and and it's it's not great in part because of the rules issue. You know, like you've established that. Spelljammers can't go up to full speed, you know, their warp speed, if you will, their 100 million miles a day or whatever it is, um, when there's another one-ton object within a mile, that means there's no, like, real chase escape vector. You know what I mean? Like, unless you, like, disable their ship somehow, and there isn't rules written for that. You can go and you look at 2nd Edition Spelljammer, you can target the Spelljammer, the, the 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 wizard or sorcerer or whatever, the magic caster that's sitting in the Spelljammer chair, the helm, you could target them, take them out, and then you have means to escape, technically. Um, there's things like that. There's a lot of gray. And <clears throat> I know I'm not the only DM in 5e that's tired of like doing all of the heavy lifting. Uh, for example, one of the big, more glaringly obvious issues in the book is that Spelljammer is supposed to be the setting between settings. It's the spacefaring bit of D and D where you can go from Toral to Crin to Earth or Earth, however you pronounce it, or to Mastara, the Hollow World, or what you know, the different settings via the, the the wild space astral sea system in fifth edition. It was different in second edition. But the whole point of the setting is, is like I can leave my home system in this really wicked cool looking bug looking spaceship or one that looks like a sailing like a Spanish galleon, uh, you know, sailing through the stars literally and then arrive at another system. Right. That's a really cool setup. It's a really cool setting for Spelljammer uh, and in, in the adventure. There's a character who is a a star cartographer, if you will. Uh, Someone who makes star maps, system maps. And she is said to have 42 maps of systems. None of which are the two that you're looking for. Right? The two that are mapped out in the book. She has 42 other ones. That's 44 systems that exist canonically in 5e. And they don't give you a goddamn bit of detail on any of them not even realm space like i know all about realm space well not all i know a lot about realm space i know toril's the third planet from the sun there's two planets before it obviously and there's several after it and they're all different there's garden and haven and hakatha and all sorts of just really cool locations in realm space Uh, somewhere out there there's a big fucking dead skull uh, hollowed out skull that I think's got mind flares in it. It might be beholders. I know Hakatha has the beholders. There's some really cool stuff in realm space and not word one of it is mentioned in these books, which is really fucking damning because realm space, Toril, the Forgotten Realms, is the, the for lack of a better term, default setting of 5th edition and they didn't even bother to make any notice or any sort of layout of this is what Realm Space looks like. And then on top of that, they go so far as to say when you're creating or mapping out your own systems, whether it's homebrew or an existing setting, uh, they give you no no leg up on the uh on on mapping the star system. They just kinda leave it to the DM to do it. And I'm a grown ass man with a full time job and lots of other hobbies too. Um Sometimes I'd I'd like a little bit of the light work taken care of. So that way the overall load isn't so heavy of being the DM. Um, I'll make it work. We're going to have a great time with Spelljammer. I've been excited about Spelljammer for two years. Ever since I found out about second edition Spelljammer. I have the lore book of the void and some of the other stuff from that era of D&D. I have stuff I can pull from. I've already found one one dollar supplement on uh, DM's Guild, which fleshes out the combat a little bit more. Um, like the, one of the more disappointing things in the book is it's it's like they're making it a point to sell the ship miniature ship scale miniatures in, in in the upcoming mini sets and star maps for you mats for you to to use on your table. But then they go in the book and say that ship to ship combat should really be theater of the mind and that the whole point of the ship-to-ship combat is ultimately just to reach the point where the ships can board each other, and then you can do standard D&D combat in space on ships. And while that is going to be fun, I also wanted not necessarily a robust uh, ship-to-ship combat system, but I wanted something. Something more than just fire the ballista, shoot the mangonel, Oh, this this one ship's got a big, large cannon on it. It can, use, it can use giant cannonballs. You know, like, I wanted more than that. And so I'm going to make more than that. Um, I don't think Spelljammers Adventures in Space for 5e is a bad set. I don't think I would have been happy if I had paid full price for it. I got it for 40 bucks on Amazon, uh, you know, the old Evil Empire. Um... And normally, I would advocate for buying from a friendly local game store. Um, if you recall, though, I still kind of have beef with my friendly local game store after they lied to me about a thing. Dealing with the Fizzman sets. Um, eventually, I'll go back there and buy some stuff. Um, I'll just stay away from that one particular salesman. Um but yeah, the, the asking price for the Spelljammer set with the three miniature books and uh, that honestly feel cheaply made, um, they don't feel as good as a standard 5e book does. I can't speak for the alt covers, but the, the, the little miniature 64-page books that they, they give you... Uh, the The DM screen's nice. It's got beautiful art on it. Uh, the art in all three books are wonderful. I like the bestiary a whole lot. The moves, moves, booze uh, menagerie. Um, I like the creatures in it. They did make some interesting name changes like the arcane, these big blue magical giants in space. Uh, they're now called the murkane. Uh, I'm not sure why they made that change, but I don't mind it. I do find... The change from Aster Eater to Eye Monger to be hilarious uh, because Aster Eater just sounds naughty. Um, and then they, But they changed some of the lore a little bit where they're not so distinctly beholders. Uh, the Eye Mongers have an anti-magic gullet, not an eye cone. Um, they don't have eye stalks. They look like the asteroid just like the Aster Eater did. Um, but the Aster Eater lore was very much like this is a beholder. Uh, and whereas the eye monger is more like like a beholder it has a big central eye and but instead of an icon it's got a gullet that cancels magic it's weird that they did what they did with it um, so underwhelming not terrible not my least favorite books by far um, but maybe my least favorite setting book uh, both officially and unofficially in D&D like the Taldori book fucking amazing that Critical Role put out the um, the Eberron book, great. The the three um, Magic the Gathering settings, Ravenloft, Theros, and and Strixhaven, all really solid. Um, I think as a setting book, um, Astral Ventures Guide kind of falls flat a little bit. Um, but but like I said, I'll correct that shit elsewhere. Uh, I also spent time today after I. Outlined rules and stuff I want to change. I continued outlining the finale for next weekend's D and D campaign. We're going to do a uh, Siege of Leylon inspired battle in Waterdeep. Um, it's gonna be great. I've I've mopped m- mopped mapped out all the events and the flow of them. Like if you go here, that takes you here. If you go here and fail, that takes you here. Mapped all that out, and I just need to write up the individual scenes that will go with it and then then it'll become up to, up to the players and the dice how it plays out uh, all culminating in the big final battle with our big bad evil lich um, you know I went I went tropey for our first campaign ever uh, and, and made the B- BBEG uh, a giant lich god because um, it was my first time writing a bad guy for a D&D campaign and I, I went with what I knew um. That'll probably wrap up if not this weekend, two weeks from now, and I p- predict by winter, late fall at the latest, uh we'll be fully in in depth in our Strixhaven spell ham spelljammer campaign. Um, those are the two things the kids want from the next campaign. They they want magic school at the beginning, spelljammer at the end. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Um. And then today I streamed after, the, after lunch, between lunch and dinner, I streamed five-ish hours, five and a quarter hours of Cult of the Lamb. I finished it today, rolled credits as they say. That game is a masterpiece. I'm going to play it again tomorrow after uh, Crossing and Coffee. Um, I'm going to work on cleaning up, getting some of the last little things I haven't gotten. Uh, you know, some of the villager types that I haven't gotten yet and stuff like that. Um going to uh play play that for probably only an hour or two, um, uh, since I finished the story. I was only going to play about four and a half hours, uh maybe five tonight when I played, but when um when I saw that I was at the end, when I successfully beat the last boss of the uh the four bishops that you're fighting at the beginning of the game. And I saw that I was at the end. I was like, I have to finish it. I can't, I can't leave this uh, unfinished. Uh, so it took me two attempts to beat the boss. Uh, last boss was exactly what I expected it to be. Uh, well, it was who I expected it to be. How it played out, not so much. Um, and it was fun. And it will be certainly in my top five of the year. I don't know if I'll get to 10 games of the year in 2022 uh, due to a lot of financial stuff. Uh, but we will certainly um, have it in our top five of whatever list we do. I've only beaten nine games this year. I don't even know if I've played ten games that came out this year. Um, On to the news, real quick, though, to 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 move forward with this little ridiculous show. Uh, right before I started recording, I saw that Netflix has canceled the Resident Evil show after one season. I cannot say I'm surprised that show was all kinds of mediocre. I enjoyed it to a a point, uh, but I didn't need any more of it after that. Um, It was interesting that it fit into the canon of the games, uh, even with some of the changes they made. Um, But yeah, I think one and done was good for that. Uh, Umbrella Academy, on the other hand, is coming back for a fourth and final season. I still need to watch Season 3. I might start working on that this weekend. I don't know. Um, Seasons 1 and 2 were amazing. I have the comics, uh, the first three collected volumes of the comics. Uh, I should probably read those too. Um, Sony shocked the world today, yesterday, Thursday, uh, uh, when they announced... In many markets outside of the U.S., Australia, Japan, Europe, um, the PlayStation 5 is getting more expensive two years into its life cycle. Uh, They are blaming uh, unprecedented uh, challenging economic conditions. Um, Canada, too. Japan, Europe, Canada. It looks like the U.S. is the only major PlayStation territory territory to not be seeing a price hike. So it's Japan, Europe, Canada, China, Australia, Mexico. Um, in Australia, it's going up 50 Australian dollars, from 750 to $800. Dollars. Uh, the disc edition in UK is going from £450 pounds to £480, pounds, and from €500 euro to €550. Euro. Um... now 60,478 yen in Japan, $649 in Canada. See Sony's full statement is, the global economic environment is a challenge that many of you around the world are no doubt experiencing. We're seeing high global inflation rates as well as adverse currency trends impacting consumers, and creating pressure on many industries. Based on these challenging economic conditions, SIE has made the difficult decision to increase the recommended retail price of PlayStation 5 in select markets across Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, Latin America, as well as Canada. There will be no price increase in the United States. I'm grateful for the no price increase here in the U.S. I don't understand why we're the only ones not getting it. Uh, while this price increase is a necessity given the current global economic environment and its impact on SIE's business, our top priority continues to be improving the PS5 supply situation so that as many players as possible can, experiencing, can experience everything that PS5 offers and what's still to come. Yeah, PlayStation 5 lynched, launched nearly two years ago, and by now you'd expect consoles to be seeing price cuts, not increases. The PS4, for example, got its first cut in 2015, two years after release. That's when I got my Xbox, was in 2015, after the price cut. Um, indeed, this is the first time I can ever remember a console. This is from Kotaku. Uh, I can ever remember a console's price going up across the board like this. Then again, I can't ever remember a console launching in the middle of a pandemic, a worldwide chip shortage, and inflation crisis either. Um, my whole take on it is one currency is pretend the value of things is subjective. None of it's real. It's all made up. So in a way, I'd like to say, fuck you, Sony for acknowledging that people are having trouble with money now. So you need to make things more expensive. Um, especially since your console is selling at a profit. I did see that earlier this week that the, the PlayStation 5 has already turned a profit. Um, they're also incredibly hard to get. I still get emails from Sony saying, hey, sign up now to have a chance to purchase a PlayStation 5 direct from us. Um, I don't believe Microsoft's having that trouble. Microsoft and Nintendo have come out and said, like, yeah, we realize things are tough. We're not raising our prices. Um, Microsoft in particular could really be dicks in this moment and go, you know what? We're taking 50 off ours. They're going up 50. We're going to take 50 off ours. Now you get a Series S for, what, $200? What is a Series S price-wise? If I can type... Yeah, right now they're they're three hundred dollars. Make them two fifty. Um, they could they could really 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 gain some market share. Now I don't know if Microsoft turned a profit yet on the Xbox Series XS, um, but that would be something, wouldn't it? If they're like, oh oh oh, you're you're doing that. All right, we're gonna take some money off ours. We're going to help people out in these trying financial times, this economic crisis, this inflation bullshit. Um, I doubt it'll happen. I think it'd be hilarious, personally. Uh, And I say that as someone who just loves video games. I don't care what console you play on. I mean, I have a Switch and an Xbox in here right in front of me. At one point in time, prior to the middle of last year, I had a PlayStation 4, an Xbox One, a Switch... Uh, The only thing I didn't have was a PC that could play video games. Uh, This one here that I'm recording this on can play some games. Not a lot, though. Um, uh, I would play games on a fucking refrigerator if I had the means to play games on a refrigerator. Um, I don't care where you play games. Just play them. Have fun. Um... news 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 back to what i was saying gotham knights trailer came out this week i'm um, still very disappointed that game won't be on last gen um if you recall a couple months ago they announced that it was going to be playstation 5 series xs uh only uh, as far as consoles go um that was at a time uh when i was still friends with a longtime friend who said that well it's for the best and I told him that it was, you know, like, that's spoken like someone who isn't stuck in, in last gen. Like, yeah, theoretically, it's for the best that games stop coming out on last gen. But when the vast majority of people that want these things can't get them, um, as mentioned just a moment ago with the PlayStation uh, story, that, like, it's it's it sucks when they start doing this already. Um, I still go back to what I said two years ago, dropping... New consoles in the middle of a global pandemic at the start of a chip shortage, less than 18 months before inflation started to soar. Uh, not that they can really be held to that, but like one, two, three reasons why you shouldn't have launched these consoles already. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't, there's no easy way out of this, I think. Um, I mean I noticed that you know the not to talk about politics too much but you know they announced the the um they announced the student loan stuff a couple days ago and I noticed some of the gas station prices went up immediately They'd been on the decline for like seventy some days, and they went up a bit. Um, but as of now, some of them have come. Some of them are more where they should be. Granted, I will say it's it was the shell station closest to the the, the highway. It went from three eighty something back up to three ninety nine. Um, but my gas station closest to here is sitting at three thirty something now, which is fantastic. If if I needed gas, I'd go get it. Like I said, currency's fake. It's high time people realized it. Um. I know that's easier said than done. It's not like we can just undo hundreds of upon hundreds of years of, of, of economics, but nothing has any real value. It's all subjective. Um. On to Gamescom news I, as I said, watched a bunch of Gamescom trailers this afternoon After I finished Cult of the Lamb And I have a list of Almost 20 games I saw trailers for That Piqued my interest Um Oh, it actually might be 20 games Now that I think about it because I see one that I did not put on here that I am now adding, so I do believe we are now up to twenty games. Um, Lies of P, a bloodborne-esque take on Pinocchio, uh, a little steampunky, a little slashy, a little magicy, a little ste- you know like I said steampunk. Um, not necessarily something I'm going to run out and buy day one. Um, uh, much like I said when Elden Ring was building up is it looks really cool. Uh, still early. Probably not for me. But, I, but it caught my attention. Um, Tales from the Borderlands and The Expanse are getting Telltale. Uh, new Telltale releases. Tales from the Borderlands is actually a sequel. The original Tales from the Borderlands is one of the best telltale games they ever made had some of the most lovely and bizarre and absurd stuff in it um i will forever remember the finger gun fight and the uh the end of that game i don't want to spoil it uh the expanse i've watched one season of the show i liked it not enough to get like binge bingy with it you know like I, I i watched the first season two years ago and i've not come back for more of it um I like space stuff uh, but, but I'm definitely more of a fantasy guy uh, going back to what we talked about at the uh, beginning of the episode uh, I think that's why I like Spelljammer so much because I like space but I like fantasy more so it's fantasy space um, but the Expanse uh, I hope that game is just really good I, I, like, I, I just played a couple weeks ago I just finished the second Batman game that tell the original Telltale did Telltale did, and I always liked their games. They weren't perfect, but but they 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 always told good stories. I mean, even the Game of Thrones one told a decent story. It's probably my least favorite of all of them that I've played, but it was still a decent story. Um, Dune Awakening. Uh looks like an open-world survival MMO, kind of in that Conan Exiles sort of way. Um, I'm hoping, much like Conan Exiles, you can play it offline because uh, I kind of dug Conan's survival mechanics um, as a solo experience. Uh, I didn't need other people coming around and fucking with what I was doing. Um, I'm not a big Dune guy, though. I've not seen the new Dune. I, I watched the original Dune in the 80s, and I watched the Dune that came out in the late nineties, early aughts, uh, on sci fi channel. Um I tried listening to the audiobook of it. Uh I I find Dune to be incredibly dry. Uh I guess pun intended, uh it being a, a desert planet. Um, but that's not the joke I was making. I was just I I, I just could not get into the Dune story, uh, as a book, as an audio book. Um And like I said, I've watched both of those earlier Dune movies twice and I couldn't tell you shit other than Sting, the musician, was in the original. Um, The secret agent from Twin Peaks was in the original. I think James McAvoy was in the new one, I think. Could be wrong. There's a Baron floating around in a chair. Sandworms, Spice, uh, Benny Jesuits, those are the things I remember from Dune. Um, but a Dune open world survival MMO could be fun. Uh, Word Song looks pretty cool. It's um, some Skyrim people and some Fallout people making a occult historical RPG set in Portugal, I want to say it was. Uh, medieval Portugal. Um just a little trailer I saw of it looked looked wicked uh i, I like history i li- I like that sort of thing um sounds like it's up my alley uh the Callisto protocol um some of the original dead space people scary horror game with dismemberment and and, and terror and stuff Need I say more as to why I'm into that um didn't see anything about the Dead Space remake thus far at Gamescom, um, but Callisto Protocol looks like it's gonna be a wild ride. Uh, Steel Rising and Forspoken, saw some videos from that stuff. Those games look like they could be a lot of fun. Um, but as we all know, stuff that's presented at Gamescom and E3 and stuff like that can be super misleading because remember how awesome Cyberpunk looked. Um, but I am I am intrigued by those games. Uh, we got a trailer for Lords of the Fallen, which looks metal as fuck, and, and I, I don't know what kind of gameplay it is. It looks like it might be trending towards like uh, a hack and slash um, action RPG sort of thing. It just looks really dark and metal and 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 dark fantasy and, and all the things I love. Um, Dead Island 2. We saw some stuff for It finally. It's been over 10 years. I think we talked about it a week or two ago. I like the original Dead Island. It was one of my favorite uh, play games with friends, walk around, kill zombies um, kind of games. I, I, I didn't have the setup to stream back then, or I totally would have. Uh, much like I streamed the original Dying Light as one of the first games I ever streamed. Um, I... I'm excited for the potential of Dead Island 2. Uh, I like over the top, silly, beat up hordes of zombies, make crazy weapons. Um, and then they showed some abilities in one of the videos I watched where, like, dude literally, like, punched a zombie in the face and ripped its face out. Um, because, much like the original Dead Island, the player character in this game, or characters, I don't know. I know the first game had multiple you could choose from. I don't know if that's going to hold for Dead Island 2. But the players are infected already. They're just not sick. They're not getting the the zombie part of the zombie virus. Uh so it allows them to do crazy stuff like that. And I think that's that's wicked. Because there were there was um special abilities for the characters in, in uh the original Dead Island, and not all of them were good. Uh, I remember the rapper guy, he just like just fucking boxed the shit out of people. Like he had the big, uh, knuckle buster, knuckle. Yeah. Uh, knuckle dusters, the, the, the brass knuckles, uh, jewelry style thing. And he just pummeled, uh, one of the characters threw a bunch of, of blades. Um, and I can't remember what the other two did, uh, in the original game. Uh, so th- that looks like it's continuing to be a thing with Dead Island 2. Uh, Moonbreaker story written by Brandon Sanderson, um, of, uh, finishing wheel of time and the Mistborn series Uh, pretty prolific fantasy author Uh, Nerdist made a joke about him writing like 7.3 novels at one time Um, he wrote the story for Moonbreaker Moonbreaker looks like it's going to be a PC only game so it's not going to be for me Uh, but it did catch my attention because the hook of it is it's a strategy game kind of in the XCOM sense but it's all about miniatures And those of you that know me, going back to the beginning, talking about D&D, you know part of my favorite, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite part of the hobby, is getting miniatures. And part of getting the miniatures is, while I love my pre-painted ones that are all brilliantly produced and stuff and look wicked, like these death save ones that I'm looking at right in front of me right now... um, Getting the unpainted ones and painting them yourself is a whole special treat. It's a whole joy... It's a whole really expensive but really fun part of the hobby. And this Moonbreaker game has that built in where you collect these minis and you paint them and then you lay them out on the battlefield and you play the game. Um, Great mixture of video game and tabletop wargaming. For those of you that really like the crunchy, numbers-heavy sort of wargaming. Serial Cleaners, uh, the unexpected sequel, in my opinion, I didn't expect a sequel to Serial Cleaner, Uh, The game from a couple years back, where you go to crime scenes and clean them up uh, to get rid of evidence and stuff, Um, had a really cool '70s aesthetic to it in the original. It looks like this one is moved forward '80s or '90s. I forget. Uh, I I didn't I didn't watch the trailer again this time. I just read the article uh, like almost a full week ago. thrilled to see it though absolutely love uh the concept of that game and I, I hope the the new one comes out and is affordable because I got the the original for for you know it was like a $15 game um and it was a lot of fun AEW Fight Forever All Elite Wrestling's uh first video game um everything IGN said about it sold me on it and that it is a throwback to the Nintendo 64 era of games Uh, the 2K WWE games have been much maligned for for many years Uh, I heard this year's is actually fairly good Um, but AEW is going for a nostalgic Nintendo 64 style uh, of gameplay with momentum and specials and and, you know you could if you grapple while holding a trash can you put the trash can on the, on the person's head they had a, a, a the video that they showed on IGN um had Britt Baker and Adam Cole a real life couple um wrestling in game um and uh it it just looks like a a beautiful throwback to my favorite era of wrestling games uh and then we have a handful of games here that are all coming to um game pass and they 're all part of uh humble games, the humble bundle folk um, one of them isn 't going to be playable yet f- for me uh that 's Coral Island. It looks like my sort of jam though it looks like a cozy game uh with you know catching bugs and and growing crops and stuff uh, but it 's p c exclusive uh so far. not thrilled by that um, but the other games they showed. Midnight Fight Express, Ghost Song Moon Scars I'm going to pronounce it uh, Proteus uh, or Prodeus and Signalis all coming to console Um, that uh, Prodeus game looks like an old school shooter it's got a little bit of pixel art style to it looks like it could be a lot of fun Uh, Ghost Song looks like a Metroidvania sort of game with a really cool art style Midnight Fight Express I think is available right now on Game Pass. I'm going to go double check once I'm done recording, uh but it looks cool. It 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 just looks like a really cool fighting game. Like the the clip that sticks out sticks out to me is the main character grabbing uh an attacker's head and slamming him into a bathroom sink. Uh very much like the bathroom fight in uh that Mission Impossible movie. Um Moonscars looks kind, kind of reminds me of that uh, Bloodstained game or uh, a castlevania e looking game or, um, you know, that sort of pixel art side scroller with like a brutal metal fantasy dark fantasy style. And Signalis, I didn't know what to make of it from what I saw, but what I saw I liked, if that makes any sense. Go check that out. Uh, check out the uh, Game Pass Humble... Sizzle Reel, I think is what IGN called it on their, on their uh, YouTube channel. And then the last song game I want to talk about is Atomic Heart. I've been seeing stuff about this game for a very long time. Um, the trailer for it is a masterpiece. I don't know if the game's going to be worth the shit, uh, but the trailer that they put together with the song they chose and the, the, the scenes and the editing is a master class trailer of getting hype built for a game um it's like it looks like soviet era future you know like it, it's it's like the, the robots and stuff that you see in it and the stuff that's going on um it looks like near future sci-fi from the soviet union um that's that's all i'll say about it check out that trailer I watched it three times before recording. The water effects in it, the ice effects, the the particle effects. I mean, I know it's all obviously running on a really high-end system. um, Really high-end computer system, no doubt. Um, But it just looked really phenomenal. It looks like it could be a lot of fun. Kind of has that Bioshock vibe of, you know... Magic in one hand and gun or weapon in, or you know, like a like a, a fire axe in one hand or a pistol, and then you're like levitating creatures and freezing them and throwing fire, and it just looks really wild. Uh, I hope it's good, um, but that's my Gamescom thoughts. And the last story I want to talk about, um, it's about how wild um, games media can be right now. And how it. Like stories spring up out of nowhere and they change things in the world in a financial sense. And that early this morning, not long after I got up, before the plumber was here, um, I started seeing stories about how Amazon was making a bid to buy EA. And. Apparently, over the course of the day e a stocks surged because of it, and then it came out around noon around the time I was getting ready to set up for my stream today uh that that wasn't happening um no one no one that I saw at the time maybe here we are ten hours later someone's figured out where it came from, how the story got started. I heard something about it being like a content mill sort of site that did it um you know what? I have the internet in front of me in real time. Let me look and see if I can find anything about EA and Amazon. And how that story started. Because I saw everyone from uh, Jeff Gersman to IGN to all sorts of people um, talking about it. Amazon not. And then the first choice is buying EA. Okay, Eurogamer says, Amazon EA acquisition report refuted by CNBC. Original story. Online retail giant Amazon is set to announce an offer to buy FIFA publisher EA, a new report is claimed. USA Today sources state that Amazon will officially announce its offer later today with no detail yet on how much it will bid. EA has recently been the subject of several takeover rumors, with Apple and Disney also claim to be amongst the interesting party. We are fast approaching the dystopian future where, like, three companies own everything, right? Um, scrolling up. U.S. Network CNBC has shut down a report by USA Today stating that Amazon was set to make an imminent takeover bid for EA. Uh, Speaking live on air in the last few minutes, analyst and co-anchor David Faber said, I've talked to some people who would actually know if there was something going on, and they say nothing is going on. These are people who would be involved, who in fact were involved when our parent company was talking to Electronic Arts. Yeah, you NBC Universal uh tried to buy EA as well. But the early morning report set EA stock price skyrocketing. I think that's going to do it for this week's show. We talked a lot about what I thought of the trailers. I'm super excited for some of those games, especially the stuff that all those humble games that are coming to Game Pass. Um, They might fill out my top 10 for the year at this rate. Um, But that's going to do it for me. I'm going to get this show posted, scheduled, ready to go. Uh, go to bed, I'm going to get up in the morning uh, so by the time this post I will probably already be live streaming so if you listen to this on Saturday morning come check out twitch.tv slash polynerdic where you can join me as I drink my morning coffee and play some Animal Crossing or continue to try to do the completionist run of of, uh, Cult of the Lamb or whatever else I get into on Saturday Uh, and then again on Sunday I'll do the same thing on Sunday Um, I have no plans, so unless a certain fantastic friend of mine says, hey, let's hang out, I'll be playing video games most of the day and then doing D&D stuff in the evening. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe, Polynerdic, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, if you still use that old dinosaur social media site. Uh, We have a subreddit. We have a Discord. you can support us on Patreon and Coffee and Twitch. Please consider it. I'm trying to branch out the amount of content I do, the style of content I do. I'm doing less content, but different types of content now. Uh, whereas, you know, in 2020, it was five, six days a week of streaming. I'm now trying to do more D&D stuff, more tabletop stuff, more streaming, more vlogging, more. I'm trying to branch it out, um, and largely by necessity, because I can't play the newest games all the time. Uh, but you know what? You could help me with that. If you choose to support us financially on one of those other means, or just with your eyes, your ears and your time. Um, thanks again for listening to another episode of the ordinary podcast, polynerdic.com's weekly nerd centric life and culture podcast for adults. As always, I have been your ordinary nerdy host, Shad. wishing you a happy weekend with whatever you get up to. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm not going to get sappy on, on this week's episode. I will talk to you next weekend or on our next stream, if you happen to come by. If you come by from listening to this, let me know you listened. Let me know what you thought. Except for you, Joe. I know you listened, and I, I know you enjoy what I do. But if you're new, and you come to the stream via the podcast, let me know. I want to know that that works. That twitch.tv slash polynartic is getting noticed from this show uh little 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 experiment, let's say, anyway, good night, goodbye, good morning, whatever day it is when you're listening to this. have a good one. I hope life's treating you well, and I'll see you soon.